Thank you for downloading this sermon from Holy Trinity Reformed Church. If you live in the vicinity of Mooresville, Indiana, come join us as we rebuild Christ's Holy Church out of the ash heaps of American fundamentalism and evangelicalism through repentance, revival, and reformation. If you would like more information about Holy Trinity Reformed Church, or if you do not live in our area but would like to support this ministry, please visit our website at reformedholytrinity.org. I did, uh, back then when I preached for the first time here in this place, I did excuse myself um, for my bad English pronunciation. See, I, I actually did it right now. Not pronunciation, pronunciation. <laughs> and uh, grammar. And um, right now, a year and a half has passed and I'm not much better, but... Um, I am still joyful to be here. Um, actually, I found out something interesting. Um, as I, I started recently teaching at a Christian school, teaching 10th and 11th grade, and one day 10th and 11th graders started laughing and snickering around. I'm like, what are, you, what are you guys laughing about? It's class time. And they said, Mr. Han, sometimes you occasionally give a very redneck accent. So... I recently found that out, and so if you're lucky enough, you'll be able to witness it. So let's see. <laughs> um, so we are turning to the uh, book of Malachi, and so before I do start, let me read, I mean, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for the sheep to be gathered here in fellowship, to hear your word, to sit under your word. So, Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts and our minds, that we listen to your words and that we are changed by it, that we are convicted by it, Father. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. So, Book of Malachi. So, to give you a quick background. Uh, Under Empress Cyrus, Israel returned from the Babylonian captivity. And when they returned, there were some prophets who admonished the Israelites to rebuild the temple. Even even, um, prior to return of the exile, even before they went to the exile, there were prophecies that uh, there was going to be an exile, that there were going to be return and rebuilding of the temple and restoration of Israel. There were many prophets long ago who had prophesied all these things. And when people came back and rebuilt a temple, um, you would imagine that they had some kind of expectation. And as they rebuilt a temple, you just have to kind of think in their perspective. They see the temple now. What's their reaction? Some people, not all people, react in joy. There were some who were in deep sorrow as they remembered the former glory of Israel. But you heard the prophecies long ago. You hear your fathers talk about the prophecies of the prophets. And as the temple is rebuilt, 
they expect some form of restoration. But instead, they were hit with drought, with famine. And this prophet, Malachi, which the name means my prophet, he, he uh, proclaimed the words here, this, here in this book, um, after the restoration, I mean, after the rebuilding of the temple, because we see from this book that they started to sacrifice, they, uh, that they started to worship in the temple. But as years passed, the priests became complacent, increasingly corrupt. And when you read the book, God rebukes both the priests and the people, calling them to repent as their worship was corrupted and their lives were flourishing with sin. So, they have been back for maybe about 100 years and they are now left with legend and fairy tale that the forefathers used to tell. And instead of longing for the coming of the Messiah and calling out to God for mercy, you look what is right in front of you. Instead of relying on God, they take pleasure in what is right in front of them. Now, do they want restoration? Of course they want restoration, but not in a way that God wants. They want the restoration in their way. And so as they're sacrificing, bringing offering to God, why give God the good sacrifice, a good offering, when you can keep it to yourself? And why follow all the tedious laws of the commandment when you look at the other nations, the pagan nations who are flourishing? And so they they gave themselves away to pleasure. And you look at what other nations have and you follow along with their desire and marry the, why, uh, the woman of the pagan nation, although God forbid it. And then, according to your pleasure, you divorce your wife. And all these things are addressed as rebuke here in the book of Malachi. And so as I was reading the background of this book, there was just one verse that was coming across my head over and over, which is the last, very end of book of Judges. It says, or it ends with, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So now let me read the passage that I have prepared for you, which is from Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? Now, the word respect should be fear. Um, A lot of the translations does use respect, but it should be uh, properly translated as fear. Says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priest, who despise my name. But you say, how have you despised your name? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have you defiled you? In that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not for evil? Is it not evil? And when you present a lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? 
Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts. But now will you, now will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you are profaning it in that you say, the table of the Lord is defiled. And for its fruit, its food is to be despised. You also say, how tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick. So you bring the offering. Should I receive that from, from your hand, says the Lord. But cursed be the swindler who has male, who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. One of the things that I'm fascinated with the book of Malachi is this dialogue that is going on. Throughout the books, the four chapters, there's constant dialogue. And it's not like as if um, God is right there with the people looking up, the, looking up to the heavens and having this direct dialogue, but God um, charges them with certain things. And there is a certain response that the people have in their hearts. When you, when you know your child well, you know what they're going to say. When you know your child well, you know what, how they're going to respond, how they're going to object, and what questions they're going to ask. And so throughout this book, you can trace the responses that the people give, and you can see the hardness of heart of these people. And so let me read out loud the dialogue. Um, between God, the prophet, as they charge the people of Israel. And just please, please pay attention to what you can pick up. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? O priests who despise my name, but you say, how have you despised your name? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar, but you say, how have you defiled you? This is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Yet you say, for what reason? You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, how have you wearied him? From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? Your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? Now is there a kind of attitude you're picking up here? Your words have been arrogance against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? And so... Uh, just instantly that reminds me of uh, some children, rebellious children. And if you're a parent, you maybe know, 
you might know what this feels like. If you're a teacher, you might know what this feels like. Always talking back because I know better or because my ego is hurt. Talking back because I'm right. Um, recently, I was having a conversation with a Chinese student, uh, one of the Chinese students that I'm teaching in high school. And he uh, is a jokester. He always jokes with me. He comes up to me, and not one time, not two times, not five times, but countless times, he has come up to me and says, Mr. Han, can I get extra credit? I mean, you and I, we are both Asians. You know, we are the Asian bros. Come on. He just jokes with me, like, all, just various ways. So there's this Chinese student, a jokester. There's another Chinese student in my class who is um, quiet. He has actually a lot of trouble um, understanding what I'm saying just because his English is not good. And there's just a lot of things that limits him, how he can process and understand. So uh, he has to get tested, and there's a lot of ac accommodation for him. And so this jokester comes up to me one day and says, look, this guy's getting all the accommodation. Why can't I get one? Well, your English is good enough. You can understand me. You're fine. No, 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 I can't understand well. Well, tr he lived in the United States for long, long enough that I know that he understands me well. But he said, yeah, I want to get tested. I want to get tes uh, tested for my uh, language proficiency. And I pushed him back on that. And he pushed, he kept on defending. I pushed uh, him more. And so this went uh, back and forth. And he made it clear explicitly that he was going to fail the test so that he can get the accommodation. And so at the end, I said, okay, you know what? Go ahead and do the test. But you know and I know that you're being dishonest. At that point, I was just very angry. And it's interesting because he himself was angry. He knows he was in the wrong. But he kept on defending himself to the degree where he angered himself by defending himself. It's, it may have started out as a joke, but... He walked out of the classroom angry with cold eyes, and I was angry. And so when we are questioned or accused of something, even if the accusation is right, we don't normally acknowledge our faults. And as soon as we start defending ourselves, we harden our hearts more and more, even if we know we are in the wrong. And in all of these objections to God, it's just filled with self-deception. Even when we are told of our faults, we don't acknowledge our faults. Whether we are struck with self-defense, um, that we are in the right, and moreover, they turn it around and, and victimize themselves. They are the victims. God accuses me. I'm the victim here. You say you love me, huh? But how have you done that? Even till the end, People talk back. And the last dialogue ends. Your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? And this is what we're dealing with. This is a proud nation that takes full pleasure in her own hardened heart and sin. And in all this, the root of the problem is how the child, the nation of Israel, how the child treats his father. 
the attitude of the child is foretelling what the child is going to do. Now, objecting to God, praying to God in objection is not... The, it, it happens with the prophets as well. We do have many examples with the prophets objecting to God. God, why would you do this? Why would you ignore? Why would you put me through this situation? There are many objections that we see from David and many other prophets. But what sets those prophets apart from this nation of Israel? The, the attitude, their heart, sets them apart. Now, as I've been involved in youth groups and teaching students um, in high school, more and more I'm learning um, as I get to know them and them opening up to me, uh, I'm learning more how their treatment of their parents also shows how their treatment, um, their treatment of their parents kind of overflows into the treatment of others. Children who disrespect, uh, disrespect their parents tend to disrespect higher authorities. And that's why, for example, in my youth group, uh, we have been hitting with series of, uh, of uh, respecting your parents, the church, government, so various things that they should be aware of, that they should know. And that's, that, is import, that is why it's important for a child to show honor toward the parents. It overflows their attitude toward other authorities as well. Um, and with um, over the years, um, not now, but I used to be part of international student ministry where I have gotten to know many Chinese students. And, and even till now, even though I'm not involved in a Chinese ministry, even now, till now, I'm hearing stories of, uh, of various abuses that the students have experienced from their parents. Um, it's just very, very, very prominent. Physical or various abuses. Uh, just so many students that come over to the United States and as they open up, it's just a lot of horrendous thing. And they have very twisted view of parents, of, of uh, the relationships they have. It becomes very twisted. And as I've also seen a lot of the Chinese students being exposed to the gospel, being transformed by the gospel, we also witness how their, through this gospel transformation, how their understanding of their parents also changes. As they get to, underst as they, uh, get to understand about our fatherhood in God, about the fatherhood of God, they start to change their attitude towards their parents. Now, their parents still might abuse them, reject them in all kinds of ways, but understanding, uh, but their understanding of heart toward their parents changes. The heart of the child shows whether the child will show honor to his parents. And right now, this is also what's going on with Israel. Why did Israel start to live an immoral life? Why did Israel start to offer unfaithful worship and what caused them to live in a sinful uh, life with no conviction? It started because they did not see God as their own father. As soon as you take off of your eyes off um, from God, who is the father, 
we turn to the worship of pleasure. Our very own worship of God is desecrated. Again, in verse 6, O priests who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? You're presenting defiled food upon my altar, but you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. They themselves don't see uh, that they're defiling the worship of God, right? They're still coming to God with sacrifices, with offering, and they don't say out loud, the table of the Lord is to be despised, or by saying the Lord of the the table of the Lord is defiled, and as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. They don't say that out loud, but how can we tell? How can we know that they are defiling the worship of God? Well, they despise and profane the worship in how they come to the Lord, in their conduct. Well, while Israel offered God with defiled offerings, we also see in this passage... What verse was it? Governor. Well, I'm lost. Verse 8. Thank you. Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? And so while they're offering God the defiled offerings, they're coming to the governors who are uh, most likely the envoys from greater nations like Babylon. And so those governors come and they're giving the governors good, um, the good offerings. And as Christians, we don't say that we uh, defile and profane God's worship. I don't think many of us would acknowledge that we, um, I don't think, yeah, I think we would say that our worship that we present to God is good and holy. I mean, which church would say our worship is, is despicable? Our worship is to be despised. It doesn't have to be. I mean, I'm not necessarily thinking of a worship service where instead of a sermon, it's replaced with throwing football in the pulpit because it's Super Bowl Sunday. little too passionate. Or, it doesn't have to be um, a church where half of the congregation is missing on a Sunday because it's the Flying Pig Marathon in Cincinnati. I've been to so many services where I'm wondering, walking in, I'm like, where, is all the, where are all the people? And then somebody tells me, yeah, it's the Flying Pig Marathon. And I get surprised every year. We may come to the worship service, sing the right words, pray the right prayers, but does that necessarily honor God? Of course not. Retaining an outward form of worship doesn't mean anything. A pastor might preach good words that are exegetically correct. He has prepared many hours for his sermon, for the Sunday worship. You sing hymns that are theologically sound, beautiful music. You attend 
church every single Sunday. You attend every single Bible study. The last time you missed was because when you were three-year-old, because there happened to be a tornado, you know? You, you're, you're very faithful. You attend everything. You are participating everything. But when you do not set your eyes on God, knowing with the understanding and conviction that He is your Lord and Father, because He's the Lord of hosts, who is the only one that can rescue from your deep sin, sin that destroys you and me and condemns you to eternal death, if we do not have that understanding and conviction, all the worship that, that we offer to God is nothing but blasphemy against the Lord. Amos 5.21-24, it says, I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an overflowing stream. So it's no surprise that the Lord rebuked the priests in Malachi. The priests blasphemed the worship because no honor was given to God. Let's say a pastor faithfully preaches the sermon and he points out a sin in your life. As you're sitting under preaching, there's a conviction of sin. Your brother and your sister comes to you and warns you about your sin. Well, how do we respond to that? How do we respond to those faithful sermons and those brothers and sisters who care for your eternal soul? Do we respond like the Israelites? How have we despised your name? We are living in a culture full of sin. Inside the church, outside the church, both. Abortion is common even within the churches. Pornography is everywhere, everywhere you turn to. And so we bring certain sinful cultures from outside into the church. And because of our hardened hearts, we don't even have a conviction about our sins. The entire week after we take pleasure and devour sin, we come to church and dare to pretend that we offer a pure sacrifice. And that is blasphemy. It is a desecration of worship. And just because you didn't commit a big sin, that doesn't make you clean either. Gossip, slander, complaint, all these things are sin before the eyes of God. And I do highly encourage to read um, Westminster Larger Catechism on the Ten Commandments because the fathers there that wrote um, the Larger Catechism did a faithful job of, of how pervasive sin is in our lives, in our everyday lives. And so I do highly encourage to read 
the Westminster Larger Catechism on the Ten Commandments. We do sin, and we may sin over the same sin over and over again, but what we need to do is come to God with all humility, ready to acknowledge our sin, ready to confess our sin. Otherwise, there is no honor in the worship. Rightfully, God responds to Malachi with the words, A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priests who despise my name? There's a complete rejection of the authority of God. A father is to be honored. A master is to be feared. And we have, we really have to take verse 6 into our hearts because the rest of the passage where it talks about the desecration of worship flows from verse 6 by the fact that they have abandoned the fatherhood of God. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? There is no proper worship without understanding God as our proper authority. He is rightfully our Father who loves us, who cares for us, and He is also the Master who is rightfully, rightfully to be feared. Why is He our uh, Master? Why is He our Father? I mean, the Israelites, they were rescued from the bondage of Egypt, rescued from the slavery, and God takes them under His wings as His covenant people. And likewise, us, we have been rescued our bondage of sin and death. And we have been reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have a new covenant with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, how do you understand God as our Father? Is God your Father? Do you see Him as your Father? Maybe you even doubt that you're a child of God, or maybe you're not even sure what this love of God is. And so, the first five verses, before God demands, where is my honor? The first five verses, God established the love for Israel. I have loved you. How have you loved us? Well, how did he love the Israelites. Esau I have hated, Jacob I have loved. This is a covenantal language. Jesus, I mean God, took Israel under his wings into his covenant. And those who are outside of the covenant are in condemnation, are in judgment. But those who are inside his covenant are spared from this judgment. Again, how do we know that we are under God's care? We are protected by His very own judgment. Israelites weren't chosen as the nation because there was anything special about them. They didn't earn any merit, but they were insignificant. They were anything but insignificant. Yet they were brought in under the care of God. And we can't determine 
whether we are children of God based on our circumstances. Instead, we have to have the simple faith that God is your Father and your Lord. And that is what it matters. You look at all the history that Israel went through, all the trials, and how many times did God rebuke them and discipline them. And even though they went underwent through various judgments and trials, God um, kept them in unchanging and unshaken love. And His promise is never broken. Having the simple faith that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, we have to rely on that in our, in our faith, not in our circumstances. And as I was writing this part, I, um, was, I was thinking of one of my favorite songs, which is from My Soul Among Lions. Um, it's called uh, His Final Word. And so let me read out loud the first two verses. I am standing on the promise of the Lamb at Calvary, who undertook the offices of prophet, priest, and king. To live forever at the throne of God to intercede, he wrote in blood his covenant, this child belongs to me. His word is irrevocable, he will not take it back. What he has said was finished there, is finished now in fact. The gates of hell cannot prevail where Christ has laid a claim. His love is irresistible and evermore the same. I am standing upon the promises, believing in what I've heard. It pleased him in agony of death to give his final word. Yet Israel has once again walked away from God. And they even questioned the love of God. So, what does God do? My first observation, he's moved by the jealousy Because Israel is his child, God wants their attention. He wants their honor. And the attention and honor rightfully belongs to God. And the second, he demands honor from them. If I am a father, where is my honor? He does not plead with them. He doesn't stoop down and pats on their back. He doesn't come in a gentle and lowly spirit, but he comes with a powerful force, demands his honor. I mean, look at the title in this passage that uh, we have read. What's the, what, what is the title of God here? That is uh, very often repeated. Lord of hosts. Lord of hosts. Says the Lord of hosts. Says the Lord of hosts. Says the Lord of hosts. Continuously repeats the title, Lord of hosts. So what is Lord of hosts? What does that mean? Any one of you guys? Host. What is a host? Someone who welcomes to your home? 
That's not the imagery. It's not a host who invites and welcomes to your home. This host, we are talking about heavenly armies. Heavenly armies. It's not a soothing image that we get. I mean, what's usually the response of a man that encounters an angel? One single angel, and we see some examples in the Bible, when he encounters an angel, he responds with fear. That's right, with fear. And imagine, uh, imagine a countless armies that are at the tip of God's finger. Look at this imagery here in Revelations chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Then I looked and I heard, heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is a lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is not a gentle image of God. When God demands honor from the people of Israel, from his children, this is not a gentle image. When we, when we hear the Lord of hosts and the vision that the prophets had of the angels, it strikes fear. And when we read this, it should strike fear in us. Is God gentle and loving? Yes, of course. And we, these, uh, we have... Proof of this throughout the scripture. Sorry, this is coming off every time. We do see God's care and tender love for his people over and over again. Israel does sin over and over again. And he loves them over and over again. He rescues them. And all this is because He is the Father, but He is a jealous God, and He will not let it slide when His child idolizes something else and worships something else other than Him. And He will come in full wrath and anger. Is God jealous? Does it make sense that God is jealous? Why would God be jealous? Doesn't he have all the things that he need? I've heard uh, many times atheists use um, this attribute of God uh, against God. Why would God be jealous? Jealousy is when you have a small heart, when you have a prideful ego. And so why would we worship a God that is small-hearted and impatient. That's not worth worshiping. I've heard that many times. But interesting enough, this very attribute of God's jealousy is something that gives me comfort. 
It should give comfort to all of us that God is a jealous God. It tells us that God cares very much what we do, what we like, what we care for. And just like when you're a parent that cares for your child, when your child misbehaves, is disrespectful, it is not attentive to your words, you are jealous for his honor, her honor. Your child should be attentive to your words. And you should be jealous for your child's love. And know that you have the right to demand honor from your child. And when you look up all the Bible verses that talk about God's jealousy, you will find in the context of God's warning and judgment. Does God discipline when, he, when the son's love is not in the father? Yes. For the, love, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And because God is jealous, he demands honor from his children, from the people of Israel, from us. Then if I'm a father, where is my honor? Jealousy, the demand for his honor, and anger go hand in hand. And so no surprise that the world rejects God. And it's just not the, just not the world that rejects God, but it's the, a lot of vast Christians themselves that reject God, who speaks with great authority. No wonder also we see uh, heretical teaching that God of the New Testament is a gentle God, whereas the God of the Old Testament is uh, judgmental and anger and angry. Or the books like Your Best Life Now, the 50 I Am Statements, in case you don't know what 50 I Am Statements are, it's a list of I Am Statements I am beautiful, I am loving, I'm loved, I am a child of God, all these things, and you're supposed to say that in front of a mirror every morning. Um, I had friends who did that, so that's why I know. We want, a, we want a God who is a hype man, who cheers you on with whatever you do, whatever, uh, what, uh, we want a God who affirms everything we do. So do you need a God who has to cradle you in everything that you do, in whatever situation you're in, in full support of whatever you are doing, then you are not worshiping the God of the Bible. You are idolizing a God of your own creation, and God will bring judgment on the wicked, those who reject the God of the Bible. We worship God who does not look over the wicked, and he is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity and transgressions and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers and the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. God who brings judgment is a God that we actually take joy in. It, seems, it sounds odd to so many people, but this is a God that we take joy in. Psalm 96, verses 11 to 13 the, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord, he, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. 
He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is a psalm of joy. The fact that God brings and judges the world righteously is a joyful thing. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. Like I said, we are not chosen based on our merits and how great we are. It's just by the pure fact that we are in need of a Savior. We see our sin. God has opened our eyes to our wickedness. And we come to God in simple faith that we are in need of a Savior. And we are His children. And so, as He is our Father, we rightfully need to give honor to God. And fear God. Honoring God means, not just on Sunday, not just on Bible study, attending faithfully, um, giving the right prayer, but in every aspect of our lives. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove that the will of God, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Is our life a good and acceptable sacrifice to God? Remember that our that worship, our life of worship, and the worship to God. It's all, it's all connected. Do we honor God, God with our whole lives? Know that God is jealous for your honor, for your love, and know that He demands it. He doesn't ask for it. He demands it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, You are the Lord of hosts. You reign over all the earth all living creatures. You are God who has saved us from sin, from this evil, from death. And you have adopted us as your own children. And so you are are seeking your honor in our lives. So Father, I pray that we may come before you every single day from the moment we that we wake up to the moment we go to bed that we honor you and glorify you in everything that we do and know and understand that you are our father and our master be merciful to us that we know our sin and that you will convict us of our sin and that we may repent and come to you in all humility father we need you day by day You are our Father. In all this I pray in your precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.